Let's uh, go ahead and <coughs> thank God for uh, time in the Word. Dear Lord, we're very, very thankful for the fellowship we have with one another and who we have it in, your Son, and we'd ask that you would bless us in him and his teaching here out of Matthew, Lord, this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. <coughs> we are in Matthew 5, a passage you will recognize. It is one of those passages that is so recognizable, like the Lord's Prayer, the Beatitudes are very, well, popular. They make nice posters. Uh, pastors have an opportunity to really push the envelope in their imagination about what they're going to do with it. It reads differently in Luke, adding to the complexity of the problem. And I think sometimes we're, we scratch too deep on things like the Beatitudes because it's, it, because it's like the Lord's Prayer. People, if I started to say, Our Father, which art in heaven, the, the, suddenly the murmurs from the crowd would be, Hallowed be thy name. And we say Hallowed because you're supposed to put the E-D on the end. Hallowed. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We know certain things in our even secular culture, what comes from certain biblical phrasings. In the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And everybody just gets a little choked up because the poor in spirit are blessed. No, I'm faking crying, okay? I, I haven't cried since 69, so. But I sometimes think we, we lose, and I realized as I looked at this this morning, I said, when did I lose my last in, in the Beatitudes? I'm going to 12 years ago. Pre-building. She so said, hmm, maybe we have just a, a bad relationship with really good passages, so good that they're really popular that we don't look at them for just what they say. Just what they say, that's all. Seeing the crowds, he went up to them on the mountain, and when he sat down with his disciples, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and that's where we get the phrase, the Sermon on the Mount. He went up the mountain, sat down, and taught. So for the next few chapters, we have this great thing we call the Sermon on the Mount all these wonderful, sometimes complex ideas of our Lord. But he starts with these Beatitudes. We call them the Beatitudes, for heaven's sake. When did you use that last in a sentence? A Beatitude. It's, it's giving a blessing, right? That's what, it's like a benediction, good saying. But sometimes, boy, I was in a conversation, because that's all I do, is have conversations. There was a crowd of people at my library a couple of nights ago, and we got onto the subject of the Myers-Briggs, uh, and you all know what I'm talking about. You've probably all taken, you have four little letters that you think are the magical description of you. And then you go read up on that magical description. Oh, so me. And you look at the strengths. Oh, yes. And you think that's predictive. 
It's, it's, it's modern astrology is what it is. I'm a Sagittarius, and we are. I'm a Libra, actually. We have different ways. We want to believe in fortune cookies. And if you don't believe in fortune cookies, my wife and I always open them, even if the cookie is bad. You want to read the fortune cookie to see how your day is going to go. Astrology, Myers-Briggs, old temperament systems from the classics. If you're not into that, what are you into? Oh, birth order. Because you're idiots. Birth order. You want something, some, you want to have knowledge of some power that drives your universe. That you don't, you don't have to be really responsible for. People claim verses like Romans 8.28, you know, all things work together for good. They want that incantational claim that all things, regardless of what it is, is going to work together and produce good things. And every grandma, mom, little Johnny breaks his leg, all things work together for good. He's not talking about that. Anybody's broken leg, too bad for the leg. And we are not looking at these blessings. The word blessed is the problem. These are not contracts he's making with the poor in spirit. This is not, this is what you get if you're mourning. You get to flip this door over, or this, when you, when you have this quality in you, you are meek, you shall inherit the earth. So all the meek get to inherit the earth. All the poor in spirit, they, they get the kingdom of heaven. I don't know what the difference is. One's heaven, one's earth. We'd like to think of these as contracts. Things that we can exact out of God. Like it's a, a name it, claim it situation. See, I, I've met this qualification, so I get whatever the blessing is. We almost think the blessing is something else. I will be in a state of blessedness because of the circumstance. The word is happy. That's what the word blessed is. It means happy. Suddenly, if I read it without the Bible word in there, without the, the religious connotations, happy are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a description, it's a description of what this circumstance ought to be. The reason the poor in spirit are happy is because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The reason the mourners are happy is because they're going to be comforted. The reason the meek are happy is they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You're happy being in any circumstance as a Christian because of your understanding of something else. And Christ, if anything, is basically saying, you have got to understand your world in God and Christ. You have to understand it because it seems that God is concerned with how happy you are. That the right viewpoint, I have a quote down here, um, 
a little bit lower on the left-hand side there, John 17, it's out of the high priestly prayer. And now I'm coming to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Christ wanted his disciples to have his joy fulfilled in them. The disciples wanted God's joy in them fulfilled in the saints. When he says in, in uh, Thessalonians there, 5, rejoice always. You know that out of uh, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I, again I say rejoice. When Christ walks into his Sermon on the Mount and said, you know, happiness. How about this? You're going to be happy. This is the description of what the devout follower of God, what kind of happiness they're going to have based on what? They're going to be happy because they have the kingdom of heaven. They're going to be happy because they get comfort. They're going to be happy because they inherit the earth. They're going to be happy because they should be satisfied, obtain mercy. They should be called sons of God. They shall see God. Those are all things that are describing what you believe as a Christian. You don't get to walk into it and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of meek. Um, I'm cool with just inheriting the earth. You say, hold it, hold it, hold it. You're not even going to get mercy. Remember, it's those who, what is that? Who are merciful who obtain mercy. It's those who hunger and search after righteousness. They shall be satisfied. This is... This is a description of a viewpoint his disciples should have. They should say, this ought to be descriptive of me. I ought to be happy when I know what my God's world is like. That no matter what happens to me, when a loved one dies, I shall be comforted. I know that when I am poor, I look to my inheritance in heaven. I'm not trying to cash these in at the heavenly bank. I'm trying to say, is this describing me? The uh, things we want to look at is, what makes us happy? Do any of these make you happy? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's put the word in. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn. You say, well, that even doesn't make sense, Evan. Happy are those that mourn. Well, it goes back to Ecclesiastes. You've heard me talk on it before. By sorrow of countenance is the heart made glad. What? Well, maybe you say, well, I don't understand it. Well, maybe I don't, I'm, I'm not looking at the comfort, the nature of God's universe, the way God wants me to. I'm not measuring it all out. I want to have enough people help me forget what just happened. That's how we get comfort. How do you go, I saw a short video online a few weeks ago. How do you get over heartbreak and a bunch of people, I've had a joke at You know, oh, I just got to give it time. You gotta play happy songs. And some say, you gotta play sad songs. You gotta. How do you get over tragedy? There are things you know about your God, your kingdom, the comfort in God, 
who's going to be in charge of this earth someday. Do you get satisfied when you hunger and search for righteousness? No, I said, who hunger and thirst. I said, search. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Well, to certain kind of people, that makes quite happy. Certain kinds of people. Don't pull out one proof text that says, this is my... Oh, I've got a great... I shared this with somebody last night. Nothing to do with the sermon. Zero. Zip. Nada. I was reading through the Jungle Book by Kipling. I have, I have two, uh, grand, three grandsons um, who are uh, half Sri Lankan, half uh, white. And I want to get this quote by Mowgli uh, put onto a t-shirt. North are the vermin, south are the lice, we are the jungle. Did you say, you're right, that had nothing to do with the sermon. But we like quotables like that, right? Just a, even if it doesn't seem to carry any, where's the meaning in that? We are the jungle? What's the, what's the get? What's the takeaway? You want to hang some vague thing out there. And I, I mentioned this, I think, last week, maybe the week before. I object to people posting C.S. Lewis quotes on Facebook. One, that seems so wrong. Just just wrong. Then the people who post a C.S. Lewis quote on Facebook, they went looking for the most inane, pointless quote by C.S. Lewis that has potential meaning to pedestrian Americans, and they put it up there. So you can misinterpret whatever you want and have C.S. Lewis's name at the bottom. They gotta put up something hard, something difficult. But we are like that with the Bible. Look at this as a whole. This is the happiness. Is Christ teaching us the happiness? Don't you realize that no matter what you have, you have the rejoicing in Christ. You have the happiness. Now you say, Evan, what if, it, what if the word can mean blessed and happy? Okay, all right. All right. What would... What would help me think which way is supposed to go on that? It could mean blessed in that sense of I'm better off. Somehow gifted, degraced by God. Let's keep reading. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Just because you got called something? No, it's happy. You got called a son of God because you made peace in a situation. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is why I think it means happy. Rejoice and be glad. Notice this red, bold, red. For your reward is great in heaven. 
And for so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's the one he explains. That's the one he just digs into a little deeper. He just described your views about the life. I have a kingdom of heaven. I inherit the earth. I have comfort. I get mercy. I shall see God. These are all things that you're being told about that your Christian life has been granted. And even when people are persecuting you and reviling you, The words here are rejoice and really rejoice. The glad is extremely glad, extremely rejoicing, over the top rejoicing. Rejoice and really rejoice. Because that is what we have. We rejoice and are glad because our reward is great heaven. All those things, all those things or the cause of gladness. And you have to ask yourself, what makes me happy? My, my wife and I have a, a uh, entertaining practice, a couple, couple of them. You say, you're actually pretty dull, you and Leslie. But in that dullness, when we're shopping, if I see anything red, I offer to get it for her. And I say, because you like red. Doesn't matter what it is. It's red. I offer to get it because she likes red. And the other is, if I get her something, I ask her, are you happy now? And she says, yes, I'm happy for now. Because you've got to keep that momentum going of getting more stuff out of this guy who wants to make you happy. It's a joke. She's not serious about it. What makes you happy? What is the such and such that happens? When such and such happens to you, you flunk an exam. A girl breaks up with you, because that'll just destroy you. Um, Loved one dies, lose a job. People persecute you, revile you for his sake and for righteousness sake. Nobody seems to like you anymore. I don't even like you. What are you going to do? When such and such happens, what is the this and that you believe? Because the story, we've talked a lot about this recently, you have a narrative that you're writing about your life that is based on a particular philosophy of the universe. Is it a Christian philosophy of the universe? Is the kingdom of heaven yours? Because the poor in spirit can afford to be happy because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Our reward is great in heaven. So you have to be honest with yourself. Are you happy regardless? Because it seems that the Lord taught these things to get us happy. Joy is not a magical Christian happy. It's happy for Christian reasons. Because of who you've encountered. What you believe. You'll notice that the... All the descriptions, all the Beatitudes are descriptions or indicatives. You know, the... Happy are these because of this. But when you get to the rejoice and be glad, you're getting to an imperative. Rejoice and be glad. 
The imperative lets you know what the indicative is supposed to describe. Now, usually the poster ends right there. You have the, the circumstance that always pops to mind, right? That rejoice and be glad when men are persecuted, they persecuted the prophets, as in Acts, after they were beaten by the Jewish leaders, Peter and the apostles. They went back to the church and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. They praised God that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. They define the world differently than we do. And you say, well, why is, why did you keep going? Why is the, the, the poster is supposed to stop at verse 12, but why didn't you stop at verse 12? Well, the next couple of verses, whether or not they're supposed to go with this, they're the next couple of verses. Have you ever said to another Christian, well, you know, what, you know, what do we do about really good non-Christians? I know some non-Christians who are, are just as good as Christians I've met. They're happy and well-adjusted, and, but they don't believe. What do we do about that? Uh, because we have cheap views of happiness. Everybody's pretty happy. Everybody's, you know, in this country, most of you are wealthier than King Solomon. You've got, I was sitting in my chair in my library saying, you know, there are probably Byzantine monarchs that didn't have a chair this comfortable. The stuff we've invented, the, the electric lights, hot water when we want it. We're wealthy. Same is true, and consequently a lot of the torments of life, we don't have armies marching through North Idaho slaying as they go. And we, then we change our definition of what's happy. Because in our mind, sometimes exactly what the non-Christian is, the life he's leading, right? Oh, he's got a good job, and he seems to be fulfilled, and his wife's hot. Um, what more could I want? I could be happy in Christ if I had that, you know, at least 70000 a year and, and hot chick for a wife. Well, we're not defining it this way, then. We're defining it by what the world says makes you happy. Yeah, of course the world is able to be happy that way. If you value what they value, they're going to be successful at getting it probably way before you. But you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trotted underfoot by men. What is the point of introducing some non-Christian you know to your Christian friends when your Christian friends don't seem to be manifestly different than everybody in the world? We're the salt of the earth. We're the seasoning. We're the thing that goes, there's something really missing. We need a Christian here. Are you and your friends, you and your family, Something that's lost its taste? Is this, I don't know, is this a change of subject? Is the saltiness that you're providing part of what you're bringing to the earth? 
and the concern about its absence is wondering how I'm going to get it back. How I'm going to make salt salty again. With salt, you don't make salt salty again. Too bad. It's gravel. It's just small rocks. You have the opportunity to change your path to happiness. Because that's, you know, whatever, I think Aristotle suggested that was the chief end of man. I don't quite agree, unless you tie it in with the idea of peace. But happiness, everyone knows when you've walked through a day, that couple days ago when it was like 56 degrees and the sun was out, and you could not even put a jacket on and go outside. My heavens, there's a lot of happiness on the Palouse. People were maybe not getting their hopes up. It's been a rude year. The next, I mean, it could have just you know, suddenly dumped seven inches on you. But we know what it's like to be happy. You know what it's like to be happy in Christ. You know what it's like. Rejoice not that the demons are subject to you in my name. I'm not making this up. This is a quote. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Do you rejoice that your names are written in heaven or would you rejoice more that the demons were subject to you in my name? Do you agree with our God as to what should make you happy at what ordinate value? Does God make you more happy than your kids? Does the fact that your name is written in heaven, does the fact that you are called sons of God because of what you did? You're not good for anything. Otherwise, I mean, you're just you're just bodies in pews, and maybe that maintains. If we had a budget, it would maintain a budget here at the church or any other church. People like to keep the bodies there and keeping them thinking vaguely religiously, and enough religiously they feel guilty enough to pay the church their ten percent so that they don't go to hell. But what good are they? The world is seeking happiness. The world is seeking peace. We have got it. Doesn't matter what situation you're in. Meek, mourning, abused. The God, what you believe about your God, what you believe about your future, what is now and what is then. Where did you come from? Where are you now and where are you going? Those are things that you have a story that claims is true about you. Do you believe it? Because when you're in a circumstance, the truth of that would make you happy. <coughs> Otherwise, you're just to be walked on. And then it says you were the light of the world. That would be, given that in the next uh, bit, <coughs> he says, uh, he goes into talking about the law and the righteousness through the law, etc., etc., this comes right after the Beatitudes. You are the salt, you are the light. He says in the high priestly prayer, I came to give joy to them. The instruction is that you are given the task of rejoicing. Even though bad things happen to you because there's a great story that backs you up from God. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor to been light a lamp and put it under a bushel. But on a stand... And it gives light to all the house. Let your light so shine before men. Okay, here's a, I want to, maybe you've done this, maybe you know some Christians who have done that. 
they know that Christians are supposed to be upbeat and glad and to make their light so shine among men it's like telling little Johnny to go say thank you to his grandma for whatever he got for Christmas smile when you say it my uh, grandson was having a hard time looking people in the eye when he would talk to them and his parents would say look grandpa father in the eye when you say and he would he would run his face his eyes across my face and try to say thank you in the mid <laughs> mid swing i mean the, the insincerity he was he was he had a fool i guess you don't you know christians like that whose christian peace is just be, being an upbeat person whose Christian gladness is just that coat hanger smile that they've shoved in. I think I've mentioned this before, but I know people who have a reputation for being the dearest and gladdest who are hell on wheels. They know that you're supposed to shine before men. Well, if I can't fake the real gladness, I'll fake what it looks like. I'll have fake light. It's like holding a picture. Have you ever seen a, uh, a painting or a photograph that captures the lighting? And I don't mean Thomas Kincaid. Okay? The painter of light. But if you believe that's a painting of light, if you saw a, a Caravaggio where the light is just remarkable, you can't hold the painting up to anything and have it illuminated. It's painted light. It looks like it's lit. It's not radiant light. We have something in us that doesn't look like you faked a smile. I don't smile because I don't know how to do it. Years of atrophied cheeks and whatever. But I'm pleased. You might see me smirk, but a gentleman should not laugh. But you don't want to have. People know when you're glad. I was talking to a six-year-old girl last night. She's over for dinner with her family. Six-year-old girl sitting right there at my left. And so we had a little conversation. I've talked to Audrey this way at times. Other little kids. You could look at them as serious as the day is long and tell them they dress funny and they're half-wit. And they love you. Because even without a smile, well, you know what it's like, right? You know, you, you know happiness. You know it when you see the real thing. We are that light in the world. We don't want to pretend that we have a light because we want to beat the Muslims at this game. There was a story out a few weeks ago that the Muslims might outstrip Christianity for most popular. They used the word popular in the headline. They should use the most people. I don't think Islam is popular. But some Christians probably get a little concerned. We're losing. We've got to get out there and fake this Christianity even more. Our light should shine before men in such a way 
that when they see, that they may see your good works. Part of who you are as a happy Christian, happy because of all the great things God has given you in glory, and in this life, you are sons of God, and you either believe that or you don't. That is going to illuminate the situation. They will see what you do. They will see how you act. Because that's what it is. That they, your light so shine, you have a, a light, a lamp on a stand, gives light to the whole house, city is on a hill. The light is there so you can see the things that the light illuminates. The fact that you are happy, truly, in these causes, illuminates the good you represent, the good you do, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what real happiness does, based on the Christian faith. It illuminates true goodness and it identifies the God. They give glory to God the Father. Consequently, you have to say, would, if I have a silly grin, if I always manage to be the hail fellow well met at the door of the church and make people feel welcome and give that little tug of, of uh, insincere handshake, none of us want that. We don't want to be treated that way. We ought not treat anyone that way. We need to go back and say, have I lost my flavor? What do I do to get this joy back? One, I'd avoid Jim Wilson. Like the plague. Because if he walked up to him and said, Jim, I just don't know where my joy is gone. He's got a book. He's got a chart, a graph. Because what is it going to be? It's going to be you cleaning up your heart and you believing that which is true, learning, growing in grace, learning what is true about your God, because that's what the Beatitudes are based on. It's saying, this information makes you happy. Because they're called, you're called the sons of God. That should make you happy. You shall see God. You haven't seen him yet. But you will. Do you believe it? We recapture our state of cleanness so that we can approach these things of belief, this truth. And this isn't everything. This is, is not all things you could say about what we have in God and Christ. But if it's that kind of light, if the non-believer sees that kind of light, it's not going to illuminate church life and church programs and... Um, you know, the predictable things. We ought to prove to them that we do good things. If you know if you were happy, they'd look at anything you did and they'd be amazed. If you were happy, they'd want to be around your family if you were happy. You've been with those kinds of families, right? We are they're really nice people. You gotta be that person for people to want to be around you, for, for them to be able to see your good deeds and give glory to God for what you've done. That your happiness is not, you know, some sweetie nice training course, how to make friends and influence people. 
Well, these are things that you get a chance to look back over. Simple thing is, I think it's about the happiness, not about the little astrological Myers-Briggs benefits you're going to get out of this list. It's about happiness. Do the things that God has given us make us happy. Rejoice and be glad in it. Is that what the effect is? And do you describe yourself that way? And if you don't describe yourself, and I shouldn't do this, you know, I'm not like a real pastor. Just got to pretend the pulpit. But every so often it's good to let people know. You're not happy. If you're not happy, talk to somebody. If you don't know where to go, what to think, talk to somebody. If you don't know who to talk to, talk to me. I warned you about Jim Wilson. Okay? And he's not long for this world, so and he's busy with a lot of people. But talk to somebody. Find out what the path back is to being the light of the world. If Christ's description of what you have in him does not describe you, there's a reason you come to church. So you'd figure that out. You'd get described by Jesus Christ. They shall be called sons of God. It's one of the reasons you're happy. You're called a son of God. Deal with it. Fix it. We can be the happiest church in Moscow. Yay! We don't want to be the ha- fake, fakest church in Moscow. but the happiest church. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You've been very kind to us. We'd ask that we would look on our knees at the things you have described in us. Waiting to see if it matches, our life matches. Lord, help us take your son's teaching seriously about what we should have because of what we believe. Help us rejoice and be glad. Help that be a light to the world that they would, many would turn to your son because of the gladness we've received. In your son's name. Amen.